And I think that's maybe a question many students asking, how you get the idea that you wanted to do with your team Xenobots? Why you, <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's really, when you see most of, of course, you are more experienced than that, but when you look that you go for the, maybe the list risk, just, or maybe the trend, but you go something beyond the trend and just we want to use biological tissues like the frog employee. So how you get this idea? Well, I, it wasn't me that got the idea. And I don't think any one person got the idea, which is, again, one of the, the, the fun things about science is if you get the right people together, they collectively yeah. come up with an idea that no one person would come up with. Um, that being said, I would give most of the credit to uh, Mike Levin, uh, the director of the Allen Institute uh, at Tufts. Um, and, and his colleague, uh, Doug Blackiston, uh, who together discovered that you could stitch together frog cells at a millimeter scale and produce a, a millimeter sized robot that is stable for seven to 10 days before it degrades. So um, that is definitely their discovery. The idea that you could uh, create an evolutionary algorithm that automatically designs those xenobots, again, that's something that our group, I, I would say, sort of came up with together over a series of weekly meetings where we were thinking about lots of other ideas that didn't end up going anywhere. Um, and that, that collective brainstorming is what led to the beginning of xenobots. Yeah, that's great. So maybe the question, maybe, I think in the community ask, what are the missing pieces? For example, you said that when you have the right team, you can come up with maybe the right solution or maybe innovative solution and breakthrough. So what do you think maybe is the missing pieces in understanding what's happening in biology and we can get this solution like Xenobots? Do you think we still have a lack of understanding or maybe communication between different disciplines? How do you see this? Pieces. Yeah, I don't think it's a lack of communication. Um, I would say it, it is something much deeper. And again, this this idea of the, you know, the philosophy of science or the history of science, you know, scientists are human beings. It is much yeah. easier to come up with new ideas that conform to the current <clears throat> to the current paradigm. Thomas Kuhn has, has written on this, this idea of, of, you know, normal science and, and extraordinary science, extraordinary in the sense that it, it breaks with the current paradigm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this, that has always been inspiring to me is to try and work outside of normal science as best I can while still, you know, publishing work that is accessible and interesting to, you know, my students, mm -hmm. my peers and so on. Yeah. And, you know, clearly with the success of deep learning, there, there, it is an incredibly powerful technology and we have probably just scratched the surface of deep learning. There are many more discoveries mm -hmm. to be made in that field, but the success itself can often breed complacency that this is the route to, you know, artificial general intelligence or human level intelligence, whatever you, you believe the end goal is for for AI. So we try in my group, we try and identify what are the hidden assumptions in normal science in AI or deep learning, for example, and what happens if you roll back those assumptions? What happens if you remove those assumptions? What new ideas or hypotheses emerge? Yeah. And so, you know, identifying hidden assumptions in a very successful science like deep learning is extremely difficult um, and is part of the reason why most people don't do it. In, in our case, 
the the assumption that we tend to focus on is that uh, AI is currently very good at identifying patterns in data that's already made available to it. So mm -hmm. you can see this assumption in that most AI methods assume a data set a priori that it's there, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or and so instead of thinking about AI that looks for patterns in data, we are more interested in AI that creates, makes, designs, and so on. And th this has been, you know, the dream of evolutionary algorithms since the 1960s, that mm -hmm. an evolutionary algorithm can create something that didn't previously exist. And once you start to think about creative AI rather than analytic AI, there's lots of possibilities that emerge. And I think even, even the, you know, the core AI community is moving in this direction as well. There's a lot of excitement about generative uh, networks, a lot of excitement over the last few years about GANs, you know, deep fakes, yeah. um, that sort of thing. This idea that, that AI can make things or generate things. I think that's, that's an assumption that AI doesn't do that, that, that intelligence is about analysis rather than synthesis. That assumption, I think, is starting to degrade um, in, yeah. in AI itself. Yeah, I think that's very interesting, Borland. I think that's uh, yeah a very hot topic recently, but 